Okay, so continuing discussion from pain to release. This is 21, episode 21. We are getting close to the end, uh, and I want to make it known there is a... I have a friend, a client, who's a friend, who's actually making transcripts of every single one of these talks. Uh, and it'll come down to come out to about 20... I mean, it, it's about 10 to 15 pages for the one hour, for each one hour episode. So she's putting together a transcript, and then we're going to do the layout. And uh, they will be available in a PDF form, and maybe even in a book. Hey, hey. Uh, with all the chapters being all, e- each of the episodes uh, laid out nicely, hopefully. And then you could read it at your leisure. So that is something that might be coming in the next few months. We'll see what, how, what it goes. So last time... Uh, I'll send some links here to get up to speed on where what the source material here is, which you saw from last time. First, from Osho, uh, talking about dynamic meditation and Patanjali. We're going to then move to another, the second and then final Osho page on Vipassana, or Zazen meditation. Uh, we will do a little bit of review of the page of Catharsis. And I believe what somebody sent me on Ken Wilber's Religion of Tomorrow, which is an integral understanding of human development, including the psychological and the spiritual. And I haven't read the book, but I think it's his integral approach, I mean... My, the the school I went to, CIIS, one of those eyes is actually directly related to Ken Wilber's uh, basic philosophy, which is integral theory. And so, CIIS, California Institute of Integral Studies, and I have a MA in integral psychology. And so, this series is into the heading integral psychology or integral theory. It's basically seven chakra theory, <laughs> or understanding wellness um, as uh, from the pers- from a spiritual metaphysical perspective that we are not only body mind, or we are body mind and non physical energy fields and a reincarnating soul in multiple dimensions, and there's uh, there are levels of development <clears throat> beyond just the single incarnation, obviously. So I'm going to pull in uh, Ken Wilber's approach as we get to the final, a final page on uh, self-realization as what is supported by catharsis and release of pain. So from last time, first link, Patanjali, the basic idea is that from Osho, He's saying earlier societies, when Patanjali was writing, I, I think it was, I don't know what his uh, dates are about, about a thousand years ago, uh, society was more simple, natural. Um, catharsis came naturally by the rituals and the way of life of the less developed societies a thousand years ago. And so he said, uh, third paragraph, uh, that's why Patanjali never talked about catharsis. It was not needed. Society was just in childhood stage. People were childlike or innocent, maybe. But living their life without any repression, maybe. But that. But as I said last time, there are societies, hunter-gatherer, and um, more indigenous groups who, that are warlike and had... Um, people who were service to self or negatively oriented uh, harming each other. So while catharsis might not be needed, self-examination and moral um, moral self-reflection certainly would have been needed or is needed um, in such simpler societies. But his point is the more repressive a society, the more cathartic methods will be needed then you will have to do something to bring it out, and therefore he got this um, idea to uh, suggest the dynamic meditation, which is a a, a nice way of of saying um, 
dancing and uh, jumping and rolling and screaming and crying and just getting it all out. If you've got some stuff to get out, there are other people who just don't need that, actually. And then there are people involved in that who think that the people who say they don't need it are just repressed and involved in avoidance, then everybody needs it. No, sorry, it's not true. Not everybody needs intensive catharsis because it may they may have done it already. <laughs> they may well have, uh, or some people, or we in some ways, have released some blocked emotion. Now, releasing blocked emotion ain't the end of the game. End of the goal. End of the game either, or a final goal. It's not a final goal, and so. Um, you can say that there is a cleansing or purification of the blocked emotion, the blocked energy, the blocked emotion, the blocked energy charge of the emotion that's been repressed coming out by uh, catharsis. And um, Osho adds here at the bottom, uh, this simple crying, yelling, screaming, being angry, violent cleanses you and it creates no chain, no karmic chain in the future. Well, maybe, except for when people become attached to the release process. And so that's what we looked at last time, talking about scholars and psychologists with differing opinions on the value of catharsis. Catharsis, in general, is a good thing. If we're talking about um, the release of blocked emotion and emotional charge energy. The question, then, is what does the person do with it? How do they respond to their own process? They can, uh, and and the, the, the clear distinction is basically acceptance versus control. And then we've got the fundaments of the positive versus the negative path. The positive path based in acceptance, the negative path based in control. Uh, the positive path acceptance, which is a quality of love and non-manipulation or unconditional accepting, allowing, that leads to lower triad blockages released. The release of blockages in the lower three chakras comes by acceptance and understanding. Right? Know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. Knowledge or acceptance of self, forgiveness of self, and direction of the will. When there's a will directed to accepting and understanding and forgiving, then there's healing over time. That is using love wisdom to release lower triad blockage to facilitate mental emotional health. Now, that is a positive response to catalyst or uh, to catharsis. So the, the, the catalyst is, a, you know, what comes in or what comes up. The catalyst of catharsis. <laughs> catharsis being a catalyst itself. A being responded to or being handled by a person uh, either uh, in accord with the principles of the positive path or the negative path. Either met the cathar the ca the catalyst of the catharsis is met with some blend of acceptance and control and if the person meets it with heavy control then they become attached to catharsis or they develop aversion to catharsis so the three poisons how do we handle how do we meet experience or what comes up or come what comes in how do we handle in this case the catalyst of catharsis. So the people who are doing their dynamic meditation, dancing, screaming, yelling, crying, rolling around, do they meet it with the three poisons or do they meet it with love wisdom? Meeting with the three poisons means grasping aversion ignorance, meaning the person either grasps and becomes attached to and over invests in uh, I want to, I'm, I'm becoming, you know, the, the, the person in the primal screaming becomes a rager or they love it, or they think everybody should do it and everybody who doesn't is, is repressed. Or aversion. The person actually turns against their own emotional process by um, being scared of and, and, and really hating continued catharsis. I mean, it can happen that people have a catharsis and then shut themselves down heavily. 
heavy self-repression after catharsis happens sometimes. And the third is ignorance or just not understanding, in this case, that catharsis is just a first step. And as I said last time, we can also say there are two aspects to catharsis. One is more physical, emotional. The second is more mental, spiritual, or, or uh, less physical, where the second is, is akin to epiphany. Because catharsis is basically a, um, a, a, a the arising into consciousness of that which had been buried, repressed, hidden, pushed down, avoided. And it, it certainly, obviously, includes buried emotion, like anger, sorrow, fear. But it also includes um, truths that I didn't want to face. And facing them equals epiphany. And that's called deeper self-knowing. It's not simply that I've been feeling this way and I haven't allowed it, but I've been feeling this way, these ways, it's very complicated, it's not just one. I've been feeling this anger, and now I feel some deep sorrow um, because of multiple, of various um, circumstances, various, various causes. Uh, being uh, unloved, being um, criticized and attacked, being uh, abandoned, um, being unfairly treated, screwed, gypped, manipulated, taken advantage of. Uh, so the catharsis then might be first anger, then sadness that that happened, then sadness that I let it happen, then sadness that this is a world in which such things regularly happen. and and those more refined levels of process real, uh, include epiphanies and realizations. Ah, oh, uh, this anger is rooted in, you know, I'm angry at him and her for this and that. Well, him and her, now I can have deeper understanding, him and her, these people that treated me unfairly, uh, are of that personality and character, and I should know them well. And I put myself in these situations. Well, it may be birth. Then you can say, well, I'm not responsible unless you understand soul and reincarnation. Then you say, well, I programmed this catalyst of these, uh, th this what? Insensitive mother and aggressive father? Maybe. Yeah, it happens like that. Uh, I programmed that catalyst. That's the basis of now my catharsis that goes from anger to sorrow, that includes the epiphany and understanding that uh, it just wasn't fair. I, I was a good child, and look what they did to me. And then I am a soul that programmed that before birth. And what could have been the reason for it? And then we get back to karma, and the epiphanies associated with understanding the karma that is the basis of the trauma or the violation or the unmet needs that might have been the basis of the imprinted pain that is the basis of the catharsis of anger and sorrow that's coming out now that now I come to understand uh, the, the, so there's a continual um, self-revelation process uh, afoot uh, under, uh, ongoing self-revelation so the uh, the efficient use of catalyst, Ra's phrase, is meeting catalyst with love, wisdom. Activation, green, blue. Unconditional, like seeking to at least try to be in unconditional acceptance and seeking deeper, or greater understanding of, of the dynamics in play. That's the mental, spiritual level or the realization level epiphany that is necessary to more fully process any kind of catharsis uh, and do deep healing associated with, you know, permanent, permanent freedom from some degree of lower triad blockage. There may be temporary blocking, but there may be, but, but well-handled catharsis, which is not a whole lot more than just crying, yelling, screaming, being angry, violent, feeling it's cleansed because my teacher says so, creating no chain in the future because I didn't yell at somebody I didn't dump on anyone. 
However, if it's un- not understood, which is not necessarily part of their dynamic meditation, uh-uh, but if they went into the next stage, it might be. The next stage being intellectual understanding, you know, understanding the principles of what just happened here. Why is it indeed that I have so much uh, anger and pain, sorrow and rage that just came out uh, associated with what? And then we do the tracing back, back ultimately to um, some kind of consideration of karmic justice. And then we get to actually what I spoke about a little last time, which on the page of Catharsis is in the section Catharsis Before Tragedy. (laughs) In this case, we're talking about the history of the word Catharsis before the the 6th century BCE, before Common Era, before Greek culture, the tragedians, tragedians, and how they um, included some kind of purification catharsis in 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 literature and um, drama. Uh, practice of purification had not yet appeared in Homer. Uh, in the earlier pre-Homeric Greek culture, there's an understanding that uh, catharsis is a so it, it, it needs atonement. Atonement. acknowledges moral responsibility for the cause of my pain and acknowledging my responsibility for my actions particularly wrong speech, wrong action in a Buddhist framework of of, uh, Shila you know, having hurt others by speech and by deed in past lives as my responsibility that I, the, the bad seeds the causes that I established in a past life or past lives that were the basis of me programming um, parents who would hurt me and be unloving or a partner who would go crazy and try to destroy me meaning uh, somebody who wants to bankrupt me a partner who was loving and went crazy and now wants to bankrupt me and destroy my life and my mind I mean I've heard that story and so uh, the level of karmic um, considering karmic justice acknowledging past life um, uh, immoral or non-virtuous activity speech and behavior that level of uh, metaphysical responsibility being taken <clears throat> is associated with atonement I'd say and I don't you know here talking about blood blood purified through blood. Well, that's not necessary, but there is a deep level healing of lower triad blockage that is, you know, the energy aspect of what's being done when we efficiently use the catalyst of catharsis. <laughs> the efficient use of catalyst, the efficient use of the catalyst of catharsis, not just the emotional, but also the intellectual, meaning Uh, rationally comprehending my responsibility for setting the causes into motion both the programming of the family I was born to or the body I have if if the person is dealing with deep sorrow or guilt or pain associated with the body body conditions or a body form they don't like you know like the person is um, has has some kind of um, chronic bodily deformity bodily deformity being chronic or some kind of chronic illness or something something or an injury uh, acknowledging karmic just considering the karmic basis considering how this may be metaphysically just and fair even though it's painful and it seems totally unfair based on this lifetime why does he have a big strong body and I have a weak little body why are they healthy and I'm so ill why did uh, that happened to me, I did nothing, I was five years old, something, something. Uh, considering the metaphysical equals um, expanding our sense of responsibility for having set the causes into motion, uh, both the pre-programming of family and this body, and all sorts of things like I would meet that partner who would later go crazy and then try to destroy my mind and my life. <laughs> or 
I married this partner and then later they changed and we're now totally incompatible. Or I went into this field and now I'm getting screwed financially all the time. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm bad, but I made some decisions that led me here. And mainly, in some cases, or in many cases, it's I wasn't conscious enough of what I was going to get. Okay, well, that's kind of normal. Uh, I'm making decision based on what I see now. Yeah, I don't see what's going to happen five years from now. Yeah, I don't see some things that have been hidden. Yeah, I don't see everything. All right. That's just where forgiveness comes in. But acknowledging uh, karmic responsibility or acknowledging, uh, considering karmic justice, the metaphysical, acknowledging responsibility, considering uh, one's past life activity as the causal basis is very much akin to taking, uh, is akin to atonement. And this is a very much deeper level of healing that must be, uh, that must succeed or be associated with the, with the catharsis. Just as thinking about what's going on, ne- uh, thinking about what just happened, you know, uh, yelling, screaming, crying, trembling, shaking uncontrollably, catharsis of fear, crying uncontrollably, grieving, feeling depressed, feeling hopeless, catharsis of sorrow, raging, yelling, screaming, catharsis of anger. That's the physical, emotional level of healing, or of that healing to some degree. Then there's the mental, spiritual, which is, what is this all of understanding, seeking to understand what this is all about, which then is a tracing process backwards from current lifetime causality to past life causality or current life conditions, relational conditions particularly, but not only. It could be how I've always been so self-critical and how much I've hurt myself emotionally by being so self-demanding, critical, punishing, blaming, denying, you know. So acknowledging current life conditions, either in childhood or any relationship, or even alone and how we think about ourselves, or decisions we've made that, that led to some pain and trouble, then tracing it back further uh, to the issue of, did I program this before birth? Why did I program this before birth? What might have been my past life deeds or speech and action <laughs> that might have been the basis for why I programmed that, these conditions in this life. Conditions of body, can, family, placement, condition, character. You know, we program, when, when we program the family or decide I'll be born to that family, we're choosing their character, the character of these parents I've chosen. Not I've made, but I've chosen to be the child to these parents with this character, the, their own character faults, their own strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> that's part of uh, atonement, actually. And, and ultimately, the reason we program painful catalyst, or limiting, or difficult, or challenging catalyst, like a deformed body, chronic illness body, a short body, a, a fat body, a, a body, you know, uh, that, that gets sick all the time, a body that dies young, a body that's ugly, a body that's beautiful, both body face. There are some bodies that are more beautiful than others, you know. There are bodies and faces that are lovely and those that are not. But that's not a person, that's a body. But there's a person in there who chose that body. Why? Well, in general, the in my limited understanding, the purpose of choosing painful and limiting and uh, challenging catalyst of any sort is having done having done wrong, <laughs> having made some trouble for self and other in the past, and that that's the moral dimension, and that's where atonement gets gets uh, hits the bone, you know, hits the bone. That that's where one is bone on bone, <clears throat> meaning, yeah, actually, I imagine that in some past lives I hurt some people and myself with wrong speech and wrong action 
and carried a kind of karmic liability out of that lifetime into Nosolar, Astral City, Astral Plane, the post-life phase. And because of that, I programmed the catalyst in this lifetime of body, of family, of deficient parenting, of relationship with somebody who's going to go crazy, or uh, some happiness and some sorrow, some, um, some great opportunity and then a shutting of the door whatever. Uh, I programmed that, or I'm responsible for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not responsible for their character, but I'm responsible for them being in my life. I'm not responsible for the industry, but I'm responsible for having put myself in this industry, uh, so that uh, I can work off the past karma, or simply I can learn something that I hadn't learned. And so the um, taking responsibility is critical to healing and acknowledging moral limita- moral failings you know i done i done bad i hurt people by speech and action i made trouble for me and you by speech and action that moral <clears throat> uh, that that's the heart of atonement i'm sorry i'm really sorry i'm sorry to you i'm sorry to me i'm sorry for for activity that i don't even i don't even know I don't fully understand, but I have a sense that there is some justice going on here. These are critical levels of efficient use of the catalyst of catharsis and deep self-understanding and deep self-healing and um, final clearance of lower triad blockages for the levels that can be finally fully cleared. uh, That kind of work will do it, as far as I know. Now, <laughs> second page on Osho. Let's see, time check. All right, looks like Skype's still working. The recording's still going on. I only used 27 minutes. Good. Second page, Osho, Vipassana Zazen Meditation. Let's just read it. I'll read it. And um, most of it, you can see some of the interesting points. He says, this is... Um, Osho online library, the books, the book is called Tao, the Pathless Path. Yeah, right? The path is pathless, or reality is um, beyond intellectual interpretation. Life is, and we um, we add in interpretation and structure and concept, um, which is illusory and insubstantial in Nietzsche and and uh, we should hold our concepts lightly. Chapter 8, Harmony and Conflict, some portion of the chapter, I guess. Osho writes, I read, Two things are to be remembered. First, people have to be helped so that they can unconditionally throw off their repressions. Right, That's the importance of catharsis. Nobody may condemn them, or rightly we shouldn't, he means. If they want to shriek and shout and scream, they have to be allowed. If they want to jump and run, they have to be allowed. I mean, he thinks you should allow. Obviously, it's not appropriate to do in the middle of an opera or in in the public event. So, obviously, there are some limits. He's saying, within the confines of his safe, the safe space of his ashram, where people understand that this is the practice and what will happen, uh... Within that, yes, if they want to jump and run, they have to be allowed. If they want to dance, they have to be allowed. If they want to oh, to go almost crazy, they have to be allowed. That's the beauty of it, says he. When a person goes crazy on his own, he's not crazy. Deep down, he always remains in control. Not true. <laughs> a tremendous ability to control arises, and he become A tremendous ability to control arises and he becomes unburdened. He's saying that, I mean, there is soul and deep mind beneath, below, uh, or as context of the conscious mind process. And so, going crazy is not totally going crazy. The mistake he made here is that there are some people who will snap. It is absolutely not (laughs) um, 
it, it is absolutely uh, occurring, it, it is absolutely possible and does occur periodically that people doing heavy forced catharsis like this snap and don't come back and have a psychotic break nor may they understand what the heck's going on like I said they may meet the <clears throat> catalyst of their own catharsis with repression with ignorance with ignorance meaning with inadequate comprehension of what just happened and what's going on and how to make use of it and how to integrate that um, and, and grow that's called meeting the catalyst of the catharsis with ignorance the third poison or anger aversion, the first poison, which leads to repression. Uh, repression of, of comprehension. <laughs> Repressing the truths of what is going on for them. And so you can say at a deep level of mind, the person's not crazy, for sure. Um, it's a matter of knowing uh, who is the he. He always remains in control, means higher self is still there, yeah deep mind is still there, yeah, uh, a point of self-awareness, uh, control or capacity to manage, self-management is possible, is there for sure, people can lose it temporarily or cry uncontrollably or rage wildly for hours and come out of it very, very well, it, absolutely possible but not inevitable. Absolutely possible, but not guaranteed. And so he's saying a tremendous ability to control arises. He's talking about actually greater access to higher self-will and a, 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 a purified um, agency. Agency meaning I'm the agent, meaning a sense of self. The, the sense of self is unburdened, as he says, by the long-carried, repressed emotional charge, emotions of, let's say, anger and sorrow, or even fear, and the mind that, uh, the mind on the other side of the cathartic process is much clearer, much deeper, much more stable, much more well, much more capable of, of, uh, of knowing itself and making good decision and, and being, uh, um, capable agents and agency uh, of capable agency meaning uh, what he's calling tremendous ability to control it's really a, a much deepened uh, true selfhood is available he goes on when a person when a person has become unburdened as if this is a one-shot deal actually just because a person's yelled for three hours doesn't mean that matter is finished but you know, it's easy to criticize. So, when a person has become unburdened, then, <laughs> to some extent, he can start the second step, to some extent, and he writes, Vipassana, Zazen-type silent methods. Tell them to just sit silently. If thoughts come, watch them. Don't fight with thoughts. They will come less if you have really been cathartic. Right. And not so many, I'll just read it and comment later. Not so many thoughts will come, the traffic of mind will be very, very slow. Ordinarily, your mind is always in a rush hour, but now a thought will pass sometimes, and then there will be a gap. You will be more silent. Thoughts will come and go, but you need not be worried. You just watch them. You have nothing to be worried about, good or bad. No judgment is needed. Just an observer. These small instructions and a guide who will give the instructions is all that's needed. If people bring problems, the guide can solve them. This guide must, of course, be a meditator himself. <laughs> not only. Otherwise, he will not be able to help. It is, not that he knows about it is not that he knows about meditation and can be helpful. No. It is not that he's read about meditation and can be helpful. No. But the guide will have to be a meditator. Meaning, um, the person has to know meditation firsthand. But that's not enough either. <laughs> you see, if you really want um, to train capable helpers, they need decades of training. Yes, decades and lifetimes of training. 
it's not enough to be a meditator. It's not enough to have skill in meditation, meaning I can sit down within 10 minutes, I'm in one of the jhanas. That's not enough. They actually have to know the healing process intimately, theory and practice. They need to have gone through their own healing process um, muchly, <laughs> meaning have experienced um, significant catharsis in multiple episodes, catharsis of anger and sorrow and fear, and the subsequent process of coming to understand and um, comprehend the bases of that catharsis being from this lifetime and their responsibility for the programming of those conditions, whatever body or mind or relationship or family constellation or partner and job, acknowledge their responsibility for those choices that led them to those situations or, rel or relations or uh, to have the body they have and the past life conditions that were the basis of their programming the current life configurations of body, mind, relationship, family constellation, partnership, job, dot, dot, dot. Ah, that's a piece of work. That's a heck of a lot more than being a meditator. But you see, you can't do that with... You can't cook that for 500 people. You have to cook that dish one-to-one -one with, with, with the senior students. You, you have to work with senior students, you have to work with people very closely. And that's what's completely deficient in today's Western guru shopping and guru, um, guru yoga, even Tibetan Buddhism, where in Tibetan Buddhism and in Hinduism and in their forms that come to the West, guru yoga is a big deal, following the guru, the, the guide is critical, so they say. Um, meanwhile, the guru has very little time to work with each individual. And there's a whole lot more going that's needed than simply the raw catharsis. There are mental levels of comprehension that are critical. And, and some of the people don't even believe in past lives, or they have no idea, or they don't want to admit, yeah, I, I have moral failings. Baby, I got moral failings. I'm selfish, and I'm angry, and I can be um, sadistic, or I can enjoy hurting you because I think you hurt me. Those things are possible, or we've been that way before, or we can be that way sometimes. Moral accountability, you know, <laughs> is really important. <laughs> because where do you think all the pain came from? The pain that, the pain that I feel upon the catalyst of these various dynamics, whether it's my body or um, my how I was treated by parents or how I was treated at school or we were always poor and had never had enough food to eat or I feel shame because people look down on me or I married a partner who turned out to be um, a monster or I got into a job where they screw me all the time or I got arrested un unfairly, or I got into drugs and screwed myself, or my friend did, or my sister did, or somebody did, and that's very painful. Uh, there's often, now not always, but often, um, a moral transgression at the root of all that. And that's where the pre-Homeric view, the, that's where, how the pre-Homeric Homeric view of catharsis as needing atonement, as a deep self-purgation, purification, associated with, um, in, intrinsically and inevitably associated with some kind of moral atonement, or having or a transgression that now needs atonement. They were right, and that doesn't mean I'm bad. You know, one can say I did bad, not I'm bad, right? Love the sin, lo love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, you can acknowledge the moral transgression without self-hatred, without self-punishment. It's, it's acknowledging responsibility without harsh self-judgment, self-blaming, self-punishment. It's totally doable. Because, but it's only really doable when you know 
you are not your actions. You are the one that makes the actions based on your decisions, based on your understanding, which is limited. And so, by limited understanding, we make shitty decisions and we fall into wrong speech, wrong action. And that hurts you and it hurts me. And then there's a karmic liability. And then that's got to get worked off. <clears throat> In this life, if not, then the next, and the next, and the next. By that, I will program catalyst of what's called painful, uh, a program catalyst of what's called painful and difficult and challenging. By that, I probably will have some emotional wounding and imprinted pain and probably fall into some psychopathology and probably not face it and probably have some defensive mechanisms by way of avoid, by way of which I can avoid it. Distort, deny, manipulate, and um, yet remain in dismay. <laughs> I might get rid of some anxiety, but I still don't face my pain, nor its causes, nor are my responsibility, nor the moral dimension. That's normal. So, <laughs> all of it's kind of common, but if you really want to trace it, um, and your, your teacher knows about this, you've got to work closely. You've got to be willing to work hard. The work hard is what Rock calls the discipline of understanding, not the discipline of standing under the waterfall for four hours in Japan. It's the discipline of understanding. That's the discipline of green, blue, or bringing love wisdom to, uh, to, to the full gamut. Of, of selfhood and um, physical, emotional, mental life, relational, social life, and including past lives as much as one can get an understanding, um, a willingness to bring acceptance and understanding with fair taking of responsibility to all that. I create my own reality. Uh, and in general, unfortunately, uh, you know, the helpers are very wounded these days, too. So, while Osho rightly says the guide will have to be a meditator, that is just not enough. I mean, I've met meditators that I would never recommend, and I've met meditators that are very wounded. After they meditate for 20 years, yeah, sure. But what are they doing in meditation? They're probably not doing real vipassana, actually. And so, okay, Osho... <clears throat> goes on two more paragraphs and that'll be the end of uh, this page. He says, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm not interested in the university. So you see, he's not kind of anti-academic. And so maybe that's why he has Rolls Royces. I'm not interested in the universities and the education system because I know that unless I have thousands of meditators, I have. <laughs> it is futile. It is not possible. It cannot be done, meaning um, deep healing. So the first thing is to create thousands of meditators. <laughs> most of whom have still significant wounding. Once I have those thousands of meditators, then my interest will be in the universities. Then those meditators can go to the universities, to the colleges, to the schools, and they create facilities there. It's like um, Osho's imperialism. Their presence will help, and their own experience on the path will be a help to others. Well, if indeed they are heavily well-processed people, yes, it's similar to what um, the TM movement is doing in Iowa. Um, Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi, uh, and their group coming out of Transcendental Meditation that developed in the 60s, the universities in Iowa making going legit in the university system. Well, if, if they're really well-processed people, that's great. And in, in any kind of spiritual society, like Ra, Ra was trying to develop in ancient Egypt, with training the adepts, working with crystals, facilitating healing in the pyramids, and all that. Um, very similar intention. Uh, to find people who are willing to undergo deep healing and deep training. <laughs> the deep training, just as Ross said, begins with healing of mind-body-spirit. The healing and initiation of mind-body-spirit is the first step to become a healer. The first step to become a helper is meditation and deep study facilitating deep self-revelation and healing, which involves some catharsis and acknowledging past life responsibilities. Uh, by the way, it's not always the case that a moral transgression or wrong speech, wrong action is the root in a past life of programming painful catalyst in this one. Meanwhile, meaning 
there are some souls that choose to go into very dysfunctional families, but they themselves did not lead a dysfunctional family in the recent past or in third density. They want to be of, of service. And so two people, you know, maybe killed on the battlefront, on the battle, on the front line in a war, one of them had killed freely others in past lives and the other one never did before and they're, you know, a six-day wanderer or a four-day wanderer or they're clear of all that. They just wanted to be of service to their friend soul in the trench together and die together and help them on the other side, even. So uh, it's not always that moral transgression or wrong speech, wrong action, so-called bad karmic seed is the basis of current life painful catalyst not always so while Osho's idea of that you know you've got to be a meditator is right that's still not enough it's got to be a meditator and somebody very committed to the discipline of understanding who has successfully done a significant degree of healing and initiation of mind body spirit yeah okay then he finally says the basic thing about meditation is freedom it cannot be imposed. You cannot force everybody in the school to come and meditate at a particular time. That would destroy meditation forever. You know, he's he's a he's a loose loosey goosey here. So, I mean, it's easy. I do that too. Everybody does. Talk loosely. Well, uh, in the Japanese Zen tradition, um, it is and Chinese Chan. There. There is, there are the rules of monasteries, which include times for meditation that everybody must attend unless you're ill, or the teacher gives you permission, or you don't need it, or something. And uh, there are Chinese and Japanese monks, particularly Chinese, who've gone through that system of very highly regulated daily activities at Tan temples in China. Uh, meditating at a particular time and they didn't find that meditation was destroyed forever. What a silly thing to say. So, meditation was not destroyed forever and some of those Chinese monks actually achieved, uh, you know, levels of breakthrough in uh, in spiritual awakening. Of course. So, he's a little loose with his language as we all are sometimes, but to say it would destroy meditation forever is kind of silly. So, you see, um, an emotional teacher gets emotional students, and um, um, you know, wisdom is a rather lonely matter. So, but but the point is, certainly meditation is about increasing freedom, and and to some extent, if you if you know, to the to the degree we avoid meditation, it's very reasonable to talk to ourselves and say, well, okay, maybe I don't want greater freedom and well-being. I don't want to face my pain, I don't want to deal with this, my mind is too crazy, I can't settle down, I don't want to meditate, I won't meditate, I don't meditate, fine. Okay, cool. I don't want greater freedom from pain and well-being now. Maybe I'll want it later. And I'm okay to stay in some relative level of pain and distress now, because I'd certainly get out of it faster if I did more meditation. So if you want to stay where you are now longer, fine. It's not a moral judgment matter. It's not you're bad. It's simply you're comfortable enough in your pain or you're afraid of greater freedom or you don't want to face certain pain. Fine. Uh, but there is a value to a little bit of self-discipline in meditation, like uh, meditating at a particular time or setting my clock before I sit down. That's quite valuable too. So this kind of uh, structuring can be very helpful. Meanwhile, his view might be uh, the best way to meditate is you just meditate and what? What's his technique? <laughs> he didn't explain it here. Maybe he doesn't really understand what I, Mr. Scott, would call right technique, which is in accord, as far as I know, with the teachings of uh, Vipassana Anapanasati from Theravadan school. You know, it's not because uh, I like me that I say it. I, I like to know what, what people beyond me know. I like to try to explain clearly what I think people who know more than I know, or seem to know, which includes um, very detailed understanding and directive on, on technique and meditation, which is critical. Lots of people meditate, they sit down, they don't know what they're doing. What do you do with your mind when you sit? What You, you meditate. Good. What do you do with your mind? Where is the direction of your attention in your mind? 
in, in your meditation. How do you direct attention during your period of meditation? What about your mouth? What about your tongue? What about your eyes? What about your gest- your, your posture? <laughs> what about your hand positioning? <laughs> what about the timing? What about the environment? These are all important, actually. So, um, it, it takes a lot of discipline to get to freedom. And it, it may, uh, structuring practice may be extremely helpful. If you just meditate for as long as you feel like you want to meditate every time, you'll get up when you don't want to sit longer, which is fine. Meanwhile, if you had the discipline to sit for the whole period, whatever, 20, 30, 40, 60 minutes, and sit through the pain, uh, and sit through nasal congestion and unpleasant feeling and body sensory distortions and uh, crazy thoughts and memories and images and this and that, um, you might be stronger for it and clearer for it in the long run than having had gotten up because it was too unpleasant, you know, after 12 minutes. So, okay. Now, uh, we can see that Osho has a very clear understanding that catharsis is in many cases necessary to precede the second, a second step of quiet meditation with a focused object of concentration in a somewhat disciplined way, I'd say, uh, so that um, awakening and greater development will happen. And as I said, absolutely, uh, Vipassana-type meditation can facilitate greater, continued, deeper catharsis as well. You don't have to jump around the room uh, to, to wild drumbeat uh, to, to have catharsis. There's a whole lot of catharsis that comes by sitting quietly, uh, seeking to uh, keep attention uh, upon an object of concentration, like the breath or sensation of breathing at the nose tip, uh, at the nose and the nostril, the nose, nasal zone, uh, stuff will come up, which is good. And so, but his teaching, um, if thoughts come, watch them, don't fight with thoughts. Don't fight with thoughts is good. Don't hate yourself for thinking, for sure. Um, yes, they come less, or there's less, pro- it's called proliferation in Buddhism. There's less proliferation of mental uh, production of thought after deep catharsis. Yeah, sure, fine, true. But catharsis is not a one-shot matter, and there's much, much, much that needs to come up and out for lower triad blockages to be cleared. Um, but this teaching, just tell them to just sit silently. Okay, so some guys in Osho's school, and you see this all the time, I see it all the time, people have been meditating on and off, or somewhat, somehow, for a couple of years. Now they've become a meditation teacher. <laughs> because it's so hard to find good good help these days, you know. So then they become the meditation teacher, and oh, they read here, Osho said, tell them to just sit silently. So the teacher says, okay, just sit silently. You can't do that. Nobody can sit silently unless there's one-pointedness, concentration, and a quiet mind. You can't sit silently in a, in a crazy mind. You can't sit silently... Uh, unless the mind has been disciplined by, by technique and practice. So you can't just sit silently. You actually have to have an object of concentration, like the breath, or mantra, or a candle flame, or whatever. Um, the rising and falling of the abdomen, though I don't think it's good to focus below the head, or in the lower body for sure, not. But an object of concentration is the way the mind gets one-pointed. The way the mind, when the mind gets one pointed, then yeah, you can sit silently. But you can't sit silently, even after some catharsis, when you have no object of concentration, no anchor point to to hold attention to, to which to hold attention. It doesn't doesn't happen. What do you do? Just sit there, in 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 bliss. Sit there in samadhi. Okay, I'll just go sit in samadhi. As as uh, for the beginning meditator. Okay, just go sit in samadhi. <laughs> give me a break. It just doesn't happen. There actually are some teachers who give no instruction. That's a very old way. 
that's a very very early <laughs> um, radical style of teaching meditation is just uh, nothing you just say sit just sit and and that only works with people who are willing to give their whole life to it because if, for the first few months or years or many years the person will be sitting very confused about what the hell they should be doing and what the hell eventually they'll find their breath and eventually they'll find that an object of concentration is needed eventually they'll get settled and there'll be non-proliferation and eventually insights will will come with breakthrough but <laughs> it's better to have some technique I'd say so yes catharsis can help clear the mind yes um, meditation is the way of freedom now when we I want to go briefly I, I guess we can't really get into that today 5555 <clears throat> I'll do a little bit on the page readingreligion.org books religion tomorrow the religion of tomorrow published by Ken Wilbur or written by Ken Wilbur published Boulder Colorado Shambhala 19 or 2017 just a couple of years ago <coughs> 816 pages He's a very s smart fellow, a lot to say. His IT, integral theory, is very important. Um, I've never actually read Ken Wilber at length, because I don't really... Books that are 800 pages, I cannot do. I'm not smart enough and not interested enough, actually, um, in all the detail. But uh, this book review is useful and it's written by somebody named Julius K. Cato, Associate Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at King's University College, Western University, Ontario, Canada. So, Mr. Cato, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, what we've got with Ken Wilber's Religion of Tomorrow book is, as the Mr. Cato says, his latest endeavor to envision an ideal religion or spirituality if it unfolds according to his own integral theory. Integral theory basically is his um, integration, refinement of transpersonal psychology, which includes seven chakra theory, mind-body-spirit uh, perspective, reincarnation and soul, particularly Buddhist, but somewhat Hindu, particularly Hindu, but somewhat Buddhist. Uh, Mr. Wilbur was a follower of Adida, uh, Adida, Adida meaning uh, Dafri John, um, who spun out and lost it at the end and became a monster, a monster guru. So Ken Wilbur, like everybody, has, their, has his blind spots, but the theory um, loosely applied or not um, zealously conformed to or followed is very useful because he basically has an understanding that um, religion and psychology um, can be uh, the, the useful the, the, the appreciation for an integration of psychology, religion, and spirituality in a mo in a model that's very practical for human human development and transformation. And so, down the page, Mr. Cato says, "So, what does Wilbur envision as the ideal quote religion of tomorrow?" Of course, there's no discussion of UFO, ET, higher dimensional groups, two paths. Not too much with higher self, but a bit because Hinduism understands Atman. Uh, there's no discussion, there's, there's not any great discussion of cosmic plan or his understanding of cosmic plan is as great as Hinduism, as much as Hinduism gives him. But uh, indeed, in the future, there will be, I'm sure, a one-world religion, not, not run by the New World Order, but uh, in accord with reality, which is the reality, you see, this is a third density, an enlightened human society, enlightened, enlightened uh, more, more or less enlightened 3D human society, 
vision of version of integrative religion for the future. He says, a religion, religion spirituality will only be genuinely integral when it is aware of and can actually offer the following four elements, waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. <clears throat> and actually, it's very useful. You could say that uh, growing up includes cleaning up. <laughs> growing up is particularly psychological uh, self-development. Uh, growing up and cleaning up precede waking up and showing up, where growing up means uh, emotional, intellectual, spiritual maturation. Going from uh, child, childish or adolescent or infantile, um, regressive ways of thinking and patterns of behavior and emotional emotionalism this is all lower triad blockages cleared. So clearing lower triad blockages is very much associated with cleaning up and growing up. Waking up <clears throat> or growing up includes also development of green-blue. You know, spiritual maturity requiring love-wisdom. The truly mature person um, has wisdom and walks in love. <laughs> of course. Uh, and so cleaning up Growing up, in many ways, is the development of mm, uh, emotional, psychological well-being and health, including catharsis, including know yourself, accept yourself, including forgiveness, um, honesty, and kindliness. So, not rejecting, moving out of denial, moving out of distortion, moving out of distress, moving out of manipulation and, and avoidance. Moving out of moving out of games, playing with self and other, moving to a basis of love, wisdom as um, as some of the highest values of a personal life. Resetting values in accord with <laughs> soul evolution and cosmic plan, in accord with reality, that then leads to uh, waking up, <clears throat> meaning deeper realizations of the nature of of self and identity and universe and purpose and plan creation and the nature of service and then that goes to being useful and helpful for others which to me looks like showing up being present so uh, next time <clears throat> we can look at his four uh, ask four stage um, classification or four uh, fourfold classification of integral theory of a religion of tomorrow and see uh, how that basically then supports self-realization or complete and perfect awakening, uh, which for us is really just a, I mean, that, that these are sort of term, terms associated with the, the end of the path in the octave, complete and perfect enlightenment, nirvana, nibbana, arahan, um, self-realization, <laughs> satchitananda, you know, Jivatman becomes one with Paramatman. Uh, fine, 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 but, you know, that that's really still quite far ahead of us. Uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, you're going you're gonna to become infinity someday, but let's keep working with the here and now. But self-realization or deeper, you know, understanding of, the, all, of, this, of, of all aspects of, of self and identity understanding, making peace, moving to balance, healing, and then being able to um, be of uh, effective help and service to other, that's good enough <laughs> for the goal for us, I'd say, it seems to me. I think there's a little too much focus on the ultimate goal in a lot of these theories uh, because uh, it gives, something, gives people something to look forward to. But actually, the great work is discipline of understanding by love wisdom meeting catalyst this way day after day after day moment by moment and being available for others so that'll be it for today <clears throat> and next time I'll do a, um, integration of his uh, integral theory bringing that into association with the raw material and my understanding of Buddhism and this long discussion moving from pain to release where 
um, release, catharsis, emotional, and associated with insight, self-understanding, epiphany, um, intellectual level, knowing deeply, uh, these are the fundaments that go to self-realization <clears throat> and, and being well, coming to deeper wellness with self and life and therefore available muchly or much more fully for other. So, I hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ken Wilbur, for your contributions. See you all next time, and good night.